episodes into it, and I still have no idea what I'm doing and how to record. And um, <laughs> But this is episode 574. We've already been talking for about 10 minutes with Mr. Kelly, who I, I've... We weren't planning this episode. I emailed you asking about a book, and you were like, "Yeah, it's very nice of you, but uh, I'm not the I'm not the man you're looking for. I'm not the Jason Kelly. That's a different guy. I right. do I do this." And I was like, "Huh? You want to do my podcast?" And you were like, "All right." And I was like, "Fuck it, let's do this thing." So I had no intention of doing this. Um, finance is probably that which I know least about in this world. I have a biology degree, and. Um, but yeah, so we're just going to wing it off the top of our heads and see how this goes. Please introduce yourself, man. Sure. My name is Jason Kelly. I'm a best-selling financial author. My best-known book is The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing, which is now in its fifth edition. And that, that book had a nice history. I got started writing about finance to help family members. So from the very get-go, I was going for an audience like you described yourself. People who don't know anything about this, but people who are smart enough to do it on their own and just need to be shown a few things, they can take it from there and not pay exorbitant fees and be led down the, the wrong path by people with ulterior motives. That's how I got started in the, the business, and I've stayed in that, that mode the entire time. And at this point, I have uh, an enormous audience of smart, self-directed people um, who are running their own portfolios or IRA or even individual brokerage accounts. Since the, the first edition of that neatest little guide to stock market investing, I've, I've refined my approach to the market quite a lot. And I, a book of mine that came out um, seven years ago now called the 3% signal. This is the one sitting right back here behind me on the shelf. Um, that really guides my entire approach now. So I no longer pick and choose individual stocks. I run a system that uses just two funds and it, it simply compares the, it's a, it's a bond fund and a stock fund and once per quarter. So only four times per year, the investor com compares the, the stock fund to a, a target price we're trying to reach. That's the 3% growth target per quarter that's implied in a title. And then just rebalance to that signal line once per quarter. Let, let me describe that a little bit because it's, it's probably new. <laughs> yeah. What I mean by that is if you own this stock fund at the beginning of this quarter, okay, you want it to grow 3%. You don't want it to. Your, your guide is a 3% growth line, okay? So if it was $100 at the beginning of the quarter, you're hoping it's 103 precisely at the end of the quarter. I, I need to rephrase. You're not hoping that's the line you're going to use to calculate, okay? okay? So if at the end of the quarter, that stock fund is above 103, in other words, it's grown more than the 3% during the quarter, you will sell that excess and put the proceeds of that into a bond fund, just a general bond fund. If it comes in below 103 or doesn't grow 3% in the quarter, you use money from that bond fund to buy up the shortfall. So let's say it's only $97, you, and so your balance is that much below where it's supposed to be. You use that amount of money to catch your stock fund balance up to where it would have been if it had grown 3%. That's in a nutshell, the 3% signal plan. And uh, if I may say so myself, it's absolutely brilliant in its simplicity and it destroys almost every hedge fund manager out there. It beats the market and most of them lose the market. So that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the opposite of like Gordon Gecko or Wolf of Wall Street. It's yours. Is, it's like greed is not good. You're like, hey, we're just walking right in the middle of the line. You offer too much. You're like, no, no, no. You know what? In a way, I've done that. In a way, and this is going to be very loose. Okay. I remember in Christmas 2015, me, my older brother, and my friend Ivan, who's like a 6'4 Bulgarian bodybuilder, yeah. we, went, we went to a, a, a casino in, in Maryland. The average age was like 90, and it was all electronic. And we went to the like the roulette machine because it, it was the only thing that had a physical a thing, right? The little marble bouncing around. And we were like, everything else yeah. is rigged, right? And we had this, we went there, I think we each brought a hundred bucks and we had a rule that we would make the minimum bet every single time. We'd only play roulette. So we didn't have to pay attention. Just press the wheel or press the button. And whenever we won anything, you know, a little voucher would print out, you've won $9. You've won. Yeah. We immediately took it and we went over and we cashed it in. We immediately took half the cash and put it in one pile and said, that is for drinks. And the other half went back in. 
And we just huh. said when we run out, we'll we'll leave. That way we don't burn a, burn a hole in our pocket. We got so drunk. We were there for six or seven hours. We, I'm not kidding you. We I mean we have. I don't even remember. We Emma was like 25 at the time. We have pictures of vouchers of like twenty four hundred dollars, thirty two hundred dollars. We are just we are tipping the bartenders everything. We tipped the Uber guy like a thousand dollars. That's one of the drunkest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> we went back the next night and they actually told us we couldn't come in because they thought somehow we were messing with it. Now, it's not as mature as yours and it's not as balanced as yours, but in a way we are like, hey, if it runs out, then we're done for the night. But that's why we won't actually lose any money. Yeah, so maybe not as not yeah. as knowledgeable. Not quite yours, maybe not at all. Oh, that, that, that's cool. We'll, we'll call that the the real world equivalent of the three percent signal. It's it's a systemized approach to things, and I like it. So yeah, yeah that's that's a cool example, actually. Well, I mean, it it could kind of relate to yours because our whole thing was like, like I had gone to a casino like once before, and you know you go and you burn through some money. And you're like, well, I'll just get another hundred bucks and. You lose like a couple hundred bucks. And I just remember it was like the ickiest feeling the next day. Mm. Like, I don't mind going out to bars with friends in college. You're stupid. You wake up. You're like, oh, you know, I said yeah. something mean to a friend. We got in a fight. But I just lost money. I was like, something about it was it just, it was like a bad taste. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. So when we went this time, I was like, we didn't, we brought like our IDs, but we just yeah. brought, we brought, I think it was like a hundred dollars in cash, each of us. And we were like, that's it. Like we don't, we didn't bring debit cards, no credit. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't keep going. And we walked away with so much money and we had tipped the bartender. They loved us, but <laughs> in a way, you know, you can see where with your, with your investment strategy, you could be like, no, it's not. So you don't have to, you know, empty out your wallet at the bar, but in a way it's, we're not, we're not going to, we're not trying to take the whole kingdom, right? We're not trying to, you know, I want more, a billion is enough, 10 billion isn't enough because, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street, you end up in prison or something. <laughs> yeah. Yours seems a lot more just, just so we're like, we're never out on our asses almost. Is that correct? Well, what it, what it does, there are a few, a few benefits that are going on with this. Um, first of all, something to keep in mind is that most commentary on the stock market, most punditry, even highly paid, supposedly sophisticated brokerage houses are peddling guesswork. It's, it's, it's to keep in mind that nobody has any idea what the market's going to do next, regardless of the suit they're wearing, the fancy office they're in, whatever kind of history they have. And the reason for that, the root cause of that is that the stock market is what's called a zero validity environment, just like political forecasting is a zero validity environment. That's not my term. That comes from Daniel Kahneman's uh, inestimable book, which is um, Thinking Fast and Slow. And he talks in there about these two validity environments, political forecasting and stock market forecasting. This is not an insult to anybody engaged in it. It's merely describing that the experience you've built up in the past does not inform what you should do in the future. And take something real world, like your drinking example, roulette, I suppose, but something a little more, even more concrete, like, like carpentry, all right? If you're going to build a, a desk, the first time you build a desk, you're going to learn a lot about wood grains, types of saws to use, what kind of corner is good and bad. There's a lot of stuff you're going to learn so that we all understand the second desk you build is probably going to be better than the first the third, the fourth, et cetera. You with podcasting, you're surrounded by physical, real-world experiences, and you're a better podcaster today than you were in episode one because mics behave the same way, sound behaves the same way, that flag behind you stays in the place that you put it in. If you were in a zero-validity environment, the way that flag behind you behaved today would be different tomorrow, and the way the microphone behaves today would be different tomorrow, such that the lesson you learn today, you would be unable to apply tomorrow because the factors would have changed. That That is what a zero validity environment is. And the stock market is that, which is why somebody who's been at it for 40, 50 years, our instinct is to say, well, this guy, this, this woman must know what he or she is doing because they've been at it so long and I'm a newcomer. With some things, yes, as far as human behavior and so on. But as far as what the stock market's going to do, what it did three years ago doesn't tell you anything about what it's going to do tomorrow. Same with political forecasting. What happened three election cycles ago is not necessarily what's going to happen the next election cycle. Kahneman did a great job laying this out there. 
So taking that information and other stuff, we put together a system that does not require forecasting, right? That's the whole point. Which is convenient since you have no idea. And neither does anybody else. And it frees you from listening to people who are believable and who who seem like they should know what's going on. It seems to us with our backgrounds in carpentry and podcasting and driving cars in the physical world that their experience in this field should give them more prescience, more, more forecasting ability than you and I might possess. That is not the case. But once we're in the system here and we just follow the system, we can see, huh, they said the market was going to do this. It didn't do that or it did do that. But I don't carry the way because all I'm going to do is at the end of the quarter, run this simple mathematical formula and react accordingly. And over time, and this is done, I guess it will probably keep doing better, or at least there's as good a chance of that as anything they're guessing about. So it's a, it's a wonderful stress reliever and actually performance booster. So, I mean, it's, it's really everything you want to get, higher performance, lower stress, and actually just less time spent on your investments. It's I'm talking to the, talking to you, having having a brilliant conversation. I'm sitting here trying to get an eyelash out of my eye. <laughs> Very so yeah, you know. You know see, you'll get better at that over time. That's a real world thing you're going to improve upon. Tom. Yeah, yeah, little tiny stuff, and it's like noted. You know, and this is a you know, it's not a zero validity environment. It's like now I know maybe you should you know check out before the podcast. Do you have any right? I mean, I know not to. You know, there are times in like early episodes where I thought I was being sly and I was checking something on my phone. I'm like, they can't see it. And then after 500 episodes, and I now see it so perfectly, I can tell when a guest is getting on their phone, which is fine. I'm not God. You don't owe me your undivided attention. But at the same time, it's like, hey, let's not waste each other's time. If you're if you're yeah. on your phone, like, let's wrap it up. But when people are like, hey, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm like, you, I'm like, I know what you're doing. It's so that's so it's kind of like flipping a coin, though, right? That's funny. Let, let me see. Let me see if I can reenact this for you and your your listeners and viewers. So let me see if I start going like this. You might think oh, it's over. It's over. We're finished. Podcast is over. It's done. Don't or, try. Or to... How about this one? How about this one? I, I, I've got my camera right up here. Of course, you know, there's a screen. But how about I start going like this? Uh huh. That's interesting, Tom. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's cr- Fuck out of here, man. Don't give me that bullshit. You know? Yeah, that's really fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you know it's another one? No, it's another one is you can't see it, but maybe you put the phone right in front of the person you're talking to so it still looks like I'm talking to you. No, I can see the light on your pupils. You can't pull a fast one on me. I am the wizard. I see. I know all the tricks that's because funny. I've tried and I've failed. But, you know, it's always weird when you talk yeah, to someone. Yeah, that's funny. But it's weird when you talk to like, you know, a sort of like a, like a bigger guest and they start doing it and you're like, I'm not about to call yeah. this guy out. You know, if I get, you know, if I get Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Obama on here and they start doing that, it's kind of a power move because I'm not going to say put your phone down. I'm going to be a total beta and I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to keep talking, knowing full well they're on their phone. But <laughs> so. So well. Uh, thanks for removing me from your A-list group, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Am I on my phone with you? Uh, no. Really appreciate so, it. <laughs> so you're on the. I will. I will Just come. Kidding. I will come Just over. Kidding. I will come over there. And you're on the opposite <laughs> side of the world. No, no, no. But you know what I'm saying is. I do. Well, as I've told you before, this this is my podcast. I have full creative control. So to me, if you're on the podcast and and we're talking, you're on the A-list. Like no one. All right. I have no focus group. Hey, Tommy, you know, we really think you should be hitting this more. It's popular. It's trending. On, it, the hashtags are on fire. No, get out of here. I don't care. I do not care. I'm going to talk to someone that I know nothing about, right? The 3%. So, with you that, want me to tell you how we all can verify that you are not running this with a focus group because I'm one of your guests? <laughs> all right. Fair enough. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know? It's very. I think it's very unpopular to you know be a, a white guy in front of an American flag right now. There's. I'm sure that's somehow toxic or offensive to someone. I don't give a shit. But with what you're doing, could you say that it's? So it's kind of like a weird. It's like if I started telling you that all podcasts are bullshit, right? And it's all a scam. Well, eventually okay. you would you'd be like, well, Tommy, like, mm-hmm. what, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, uh, well, I'm not. So if you're saying that. You know, we look at like a Warren Buffett or we look at a whoever 
and you're going, this guy, sure, he's been around yes. for a while, but why should we trust him? But you are, as you said, if sure you enough. may say so, yours has performed brilliantly. Let's now play devil's advocate. Why would, why would someone trust you if it's a zero validity environment? Why would I, you, cause you just described to me perfectly how it's this, it's not this fixed thing where internet works the same way. Sound waves bounce the same way. Light reflections, it's all the same. Microphone, same quality, right? It's all the same. This isn't moving. Chair's the same. Water, okay, it's still H2O. Gravity's still working. And because I'm in this defined static environment, okay, you know, making the table. I'm getting better and better. You know, the molecular formula of wood isn't evolving. Why wood? no pun intended, why would someone follow you if you described sure. very well how no one can know? Yes, that that's a, a, an excellent question and shows why you have a future in this business because you're incisive and a critical thinker. Um, the, it's true that we cannot take away all risk from the market. It is also true that the way the market has operated and worked in the United States for the last 100 years could change. It's, it's possible that stocks from here on out would not go up generally over time. Historically, very big picture, going back as far as we have data for the S&P 500 or even just the, the entire stock market, depending on the database. But for as far as we have data, the basic profile of stocks is that the market rises about two-thirds of the time and declines about one-third of the time. Mega crashes are rare, but about once a decade or so. That's the basic profile. And you're correct to point out that that could change, and nobody can know that. It's possible that in the next 100 years, we'd say, well, the script flipped back in 2021, and from there on out, stocks declined two-thirds of the time and only rose one-third of the time. That is possible. And I'll concede that just to be intellectually honest. Sure. But if, if we're trying to build our nest egg, if we're trying to grow our wealth, and we're going to use the stock market for that, then I believe the best approach to it is to have a system. The worst approach is to look at reports of the day, um, somebody guessing about the same 10 things they always guess about, which are irrelevant when you chart them against the, the, the chart of the market itself, the price movement, that, that, that's the worst way to go because it's, it's, it's somebody attempting to forecast through that zero validity environment instead of just reacting to what already happened. And I, I should put a finer point on that. When somebody is forecasting, they're looking at what happened, what's going on now and trying to guess what's going to happen in the future. No matter how fancy the charts or detailed the spreadsheet, it is a guess about future movement. And the most honest ones will tell you that this is our best guess. And they usually try to seem more sophisticated by saying there's an 85% chance that this will happen, which ultimately, when you analyze it, is meaningless because no matter what happens, they can say, well, I told you so. If they say there's an 85% chance this is going up, but it goes down, you can say, you said there was an 85% chance. They can say, yes, but right? there was a 15% chance. So all, all of these types of guesses ultimately are just guesses. But here's what I want to point out as a key difference. My signal system reacts to what already happened. In other words, we're not saying, is this price going to go up or down from here on forward? We're saying in the quarter just ending, the price of this fund did not reach the balance line we want. That signals us to buy up to there, or it exceeded it, it signals us to sell that off. So it, it's true that we cannot know with 100% certainty that the market will continue to be as volatile as it has been. But that volatility is the one constant factor we see through all past timeframes. When we introduce typical points of forecasting, like an inflation rate or an, um, an interest rate, the United States national debt, which political party is in charge, um, whether the Fed is dovish or hawkish at the moment. These are, these are things that come up repeatedly in stock market analysis. And when we look at those as ways to forecast, it immediately falls apart because we can find past exceptions to that rule. For example, every time the Fed tapers its bond purchasing, the market tanks. Well, except these times we can all cite. Um, every time interest rates are high, the market does badly. Well, except when it didn't. And there's a lot of stuff like that. that for, every, for every argument somebody's making, you can find an equal and just that as valid uh, bit of evidence that it didn't work out that way in the past, which means they're, they're tossing that coin again, using this issue that seems like it should mean something. But ultimately, we've seen it all before, and stocks have gone up two-thirds of the time. So what I would suggest makes this systematic approach 
viable or something that we should be able to rationalize having firmer belief in is that it's based on the one constant we see through the history that we have, which is the volatility of the stock market. We accept that market, the market is volatile, prices do go up and go down, and we have a rational reaction system to that. We're not guessing where it's going to go next. We don't even care because we're, we're simply respirating. And I like to think of it that way, that, that lower prices and higher prices are not inherently bad or good any more than, than your exhale is bad and your inhale is good. We understand that's, that's part of the process. We need both. A system like this that takes advantage of price fluctuation needs both higher and lower prices, making neither one good nor bad, just part of the process. I, I believe these factors make this more, more reliable and something we can find more believable because it doesn't involve guesswork and it's built on the only constant we have with the entire data set before us. Fair enough. So it's really, it seems like it's just... It's just, if I could break it down to my layman's mind, it seems like it's just stay the course and it's time, right? It's just, it's just time. Yes. However, I would caution you that that's what someone can say about simple buy and hold. <laughs> yeah. That, you, you know, if you, which is not invalid. I'm not making fun of that. That's way better than listening to some pundit tell you what's going to happen next week. Yeah. So I'm not making fun of that, but I don't care, man. What I want to point out is that. Buy and hold sounds good until the market goes down. And then it doesn't sound so good anymore. It doesn't feel so good anymore. Yeah. If someone really does hold, it can work. But, but we just know from, from behavioral psychology that, that people say they're going to do it, and then they puke at the bottom, and the whole thing falls apart. So another benefit of this signal system is that it's psychologically supportive, which matters. A lot of people dismiss this out of hand, like, ha, who needs psychology? I mean, I'm, I'm rock solid, ice, blo ice water, blood here, nothing's going to shake me, uh-huh, until everything goes white in the market. Like, I mean, we've seen three of them in the last, this century. The dot-com crash, the mortgage crash, and the crash. If anyone says, oh, I sailed right through those. Didn't affect me at Bullshit. all. I am good to go, baby. Look at this hand. That is an outright lie. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, an outright lie. You're right. You're right. It's it's there is a cycle. It's like um, so every day, I do there are a couple things I do. I I wake up, I make my bed, I walk to the gym, I walk one mile on the treadmill, and while on the treadmill, I email. Two potential guests. Oh, I, I was I was going to cut you off right there and say because you said every day there are a couple things I do. You said I wake up, I make my bed. I thought, boom, there, done. That's Tom's whole day. Those are the couple things. <laughs> I wake I up, it. I make my bed. No, I I make my bed. I walk one mile on on the treadmill and I email two potential guests, whether it's a news article or a, an author or whatever. And I come back. I do one. Sometimes I do two podcasts. And then I listen to a little bit of an, I try to listen to at least one hour of an audiobook a day. And most days you're like, you're like, what am I doing, man? You're like, why am I walking a mile? I can run five. What are we doing? Like two guests? Why aren't we emailing a thousand guests? Like, come on. And it's because what I have found is just a little bit each day and you keep it doable. You keep it very doable. So on the days where you wake up and you're tired or you feel like shit. Or on the days where it's just like the podcast doesn't seem like it's working or you're just depressed or you're just, you know, anxious. You mm -hmm. don't look at it. And you don't crumble. You don't go, fuck, I can't do this. You go, it's just one mile. Takes about 15 minutes. Got two guests to email. Softball ones. Find this guy. There's an author. Got copy and paste a template. You can do one episode. Upload it. Okay. And it sounds, it sounds simple, right? It sounds like some kind of bullshit. Well, that applies to anything. Well, no. You know, I started on December 12th, 2019. This is episode 574. And it's just because it's a simple to do, I just do it every day. And, you know, no one day did it all change. But if you go back, you can see, you, know, you can see when I got a microphone. You can see when I got a, a better webcam. You can see when I started using sound panels. You can see when I got a professional microphone. You can see it's not on right now, but you can see when I got like a 4K actual like cinematic camera. You can, oh, it's an iMac. Okay, now you can see the audio is better. I'm using more advanced programs to edit it. It's, you can see when I had one external hard drive where I threw the episodes on and now can't really see it but right here is a system of four or eight hard drives and it's a hundred terabytes and it's all streamlined and i got little cameras and i got little lights and 
I'll pull it up for you right now. Oh, cool. I'll pull it up for you right now. Okay. I keep an Excel spreadsheet every day of like 20 different metrics, and I've done it for every single episode. And let me pull up on Anchor. Give me one second. Very unprofessional as I'm now on my phone, and I told you this is what no one's supposed to do. But you can see, <laughs> granted, from yeah. that's, oh, yeah. that's a year and a half of, of just plays on Spotify. And... If plays on Spotify, is that from Spotify? This is from Spotify. This isn't my this isn't my uh, Excel thing, but you can just see, and it's like it's updated. I think they do it every yeah. This so this That's is weekly. Great. This is weekly, and you can see days where it's like, okay, oh, it's all it's working well. It's working well, and it's going up. And then you can see days where you're like, why isn't it working? Like I just interviewed, you know, I I interviewed Charlie yeah. Duke who walked on the moon. I interviewed the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. I interviewed uh, Mike Durant, the the Black Hawk down pilot. And then some wow. days you're like, I'm knocking it out of the park, <laughs> and then it just kind of drops off. And that episode only got seven views, and you're like, what the hell? And then, yeah. but you stick with it. And what did the long? What's the big picture of that chart? It's respirating. But it's going up, and it's because I don't, yeah. I don't lose myself, and I, I don't go, yeah, you know, look at my hand, look at, no, I just go very. So when you say, you know, why do people, why do we need a psychologically supportive fund? It's everything. It's literally everything. You need yes. to be. I get eight hours of sleep. I meditate before every yes. podcast. You have to yeah. be level-headed, and then yes, you blink, and two years goes by, and you go, huh. <laughs> it's kind of working, right? Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. So, yeah, that's right. I, I, I completely agree. That's a really a good rundown of it all. Psychology is everything, and invisible progress powers a lot of life. And you're right. Stick with it. Stick with it. We're both firm believers in systems, and one foot in front of the other. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's kind of what you said earlier. It made me. Uh, this comedian said, hey? "What?" Right. We had a little hiccup. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. By the way, what was that one giant spike on your chart? What was I, that episode? So I still haven't been able to to find that. It's so it's that was a day where there was a thousand downloads, and on, huh. on you know on a let's what again we can pull up the uh, we can pull up the Excel spreadsheet actually. And I, I, I thought maybe you had, uh, you know, the, the, the girls from the local pole dancing club on the show. Oh, Jesus, or something. I know. You know I what, wish. What Trust me. Spike? I wish. It's. I've tried to figure <laughs> out what that spike is, but we can go and we can look at. So as of today, entry 613, we average 20.884 views per episode. Now, obviously, that's the average. It's normally all or nothing. Some get three, some get 300. But it's slowly been going yeah. up and going up and going up back to let's yeah. we can go back to entry point four seventy four and the average was eight point five four three plays per episode. Every once in a while, it's because I do the entries every day. It's kind of subconscious, yeah. but every once in a while, I'll do like a double take and I'll be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! There was a there was a spike today. What is that?" And I can't mm. I can't find which one it is. So because the most viewed episode. It's not even at a thousand, so it couldn't have been one that got hit out of the park. So your question, what was that spike? I still don't know. I the only thing I can think of is like maybe a whole group of people all started listening to the podcast on the same day and like it's a slow average, so maybe every episode got like an additional view or two views to the point where it doesn't stick out to I can't find which one it is, but the aggregate is. I don't know what that is. It's still it's a mystery to me. Okay. Trust me. I wish I figured it out, yeah. but I can't, yeah. I, I don't know. It's so, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's the, it's the bullshit. It's, you know, it's Wolf of Wall Street, right? Not Warren Buffett, not Jimmy. I was going to say, okay, okay. I take back what I said about you working in a positive validity environment. You're also in a Z-Val environment. It's, it's absolute insanity, man. It's, I don't get it. I, I legitimately don't get it. Some of the best episodes, the ones with the most views are just like me and my friends just talking about, you know, you know, chicks with fake tits. And it's like that got more views than, you know, the former. Oh, that reminds me. That's a different book of mine. Hold on a sec. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my best selling book. Chicks with fake tits. Yeah. yeah. It's right. What? Uh, that that that's that's my pen name. Let me go to that guy now. <laughs> but it's no, but that's just true though about 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 psychology. Um, you know, coming back to that for a sec. I 
I want to point out that this quarterly schedule with this approach is, is critical because you can actually do this rebalance on a, a, a less frequent schedule, but it's the psychology we need. Everybody feels like, you know, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news all day long. Like you say, you know, that phone's right in their hand. They're looking down probably even while talking to you. you know, what are my stocks doing? This kind of thing, right? So, I mean, that, that over three months feels like an eternity to a lot of people. So taking action once a quarter is enough to just not, not screw the whole portfolio by buying and selling every day or every hour in some cases, but not feeling like, oh, I've, I've let the cobwebs grow. I'm letting this thing kind of stagnate here. Nope. You're paying attention. You're tuning in on a schedule once a quarter. That's enough. Your mind can feel calm when, when everything's hitting the fan. You know that you're going to take action and informed action on a schedule, and that helps a lot. Yeah. Case in point, the COVID crash, wow. That was the first... Um, real world test of of my of all my systems. I have three systems in my letter, the Kelly letter. It's the three sig we've been talking about. Then I have two leveraged ones, six sig and nine sig, which are roughly the same plan, except they they try to achieve six percent and nine percent per quarter, respectively. Um, I, let me let me rephrase that. I always get this wrong. They're not. They don't insist on achieving six or nine percent. They are setting their reset lines at six percent growth and nine percent growth. So quarter to quarter, their performance is going to be different. That's just the the line we use for calculating whether to buy or sell. What I was going to tell you though is, all of these systems I've, I've researched rigorously with 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 historical data and even simulated market data. I believe that's rigorous. I've, I've tried. I've worked with with third parties to make sure I wasn't introducing a for example, curve fitting bias or any sort of common maladies with, with back testing, but, but you have to start somewhere and back testing with real data is a good place to start. And eventually the plan started. And so that's why I say the first real world test, all, all three plans were going well before the, the COVID crash of March, 2020. And then that sucker hit a couple things. I want to take advantage of COVID, the COVID crash to point out here. Nobody, none of these market pundits talked about a pandemic, okay? <laughs> Ahead of that crash, we were hearing all the usual stuff, okay? It was all about interest rates, Federal Reserve policy, politics, national debt, the usual set of perma-bear cloud. And then the pandemic hit. So the thing that did crash the market had nothing to do with anything anybody had said as a warning. And yeah. Ken Norrie, I mean, you remember that. Of yeah. course, now people say, I saw that coming. What do you mean? I talked about it in 2011, you know, but the same way everybody talks about everything eventually, right? Yeah. I mentioned an alien invasion back when I was in high school, and I can prove it. That, I've this, said that it. Kind of I've always said JFK stuff. was killed by the CIA. <laughs> Fuck you, so is everyone. Right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Right. Right. So for all practical, real-world purposes, nobody warned about a pandemic as a market risk. And then it came, and everything was slammed. That, that March, March 2020 was a real nail-biter. I mean, the blood ran out of everybody's face. But you know what? We stuck with the schedule. The, the end of the quarter, end of March, early April, that's the end of the first quarter, is when we run the signal. And the first quarter signal was run. An enormous buy signal came out because the market had tanked. So you remember how that goes, the 3 6 and 9% levels. Of course, the prices were way below those. Enormous buy signal, and then lock in place for the recovery. And no analysis required, Tom. I mean, you just look at the price. You don't have to even know why. Honestly, the plans don't even care why the prices are down. It could be a pandemic, an interest rate issue, a political issue. doesn't matter. It's just the price change. And so that's the psychological support I'm talking about. When when everything goes off the rails, as it felt like it was doing in March 2020, if you've got a system to fall back on, you stick with it. If you're a buy and hold guy that just, or you believe you're a buy and hold guy, and then everything goes nuts like that, and you think, yeah, but this is different. Because every time a person breaks their hold part of buy and hold, they think it's different. No one ever says, this is just a routine thing that I knew would happen. So I'm going to screw up my whole system over this. It's always, yeah, but this one's different. This one's different. And to be fair, it frequently does feel different. But the price change as, hey, is the buy, you just bought. 
turn off brain, follow system. That's very comforting in times of chaos. It absolutely is. I mean, I started this podcast. You can actually go back and you could just, it aged horribly. There's one episode where I was going to have on this guy who he, he had some, I don't even remember what it was. And he is in California and he, he emailed me and he was like, Hey man, like I can't. And I was like, all right. And so I had another guest and I was like, Hey man, do you want to just start early? And he was like, sure. So he and I are talking. It's this guy, he's a photographer and He's like, yeah, what happened to the first guy? And I was like, he's like, I was like, I think he's like a prepper. And he's like, this is all on the episode. It's like episode 20. And I'm like, he thinks that like COVID's coming to the U.S. and they're going to start shutting down the economy. And you can see me and this guy both yucking it up. And we're like, all right, buddy, you know, hey, egg on our face. But like, you know. <laughs> okay, so you did know a guy that got it right. <laughs> there was a guy that emailed me and he was like, hey, man, I'm going to go buy some masks. He's like, I think they're about to shut down the economy. But I mean, you can see how in hindsight, it's like, well, that makes sense. But you can also see me at the time going, they're going to shut down the economy. What are you fucking smoking? But there yeah, you go. Yeah. And it's, it is, you know, there is, there is, I, I do, right. And it is like those bullshit. I told you so in high school, I, I worked like one summer, 2005 or six. And I saved like a thousand bucks and I was 15 or 16. I was too young. So I had my parents open me an E-Trade account and I went in and I bought Apple stock and I sat on it for like four years. And I think the 1000 turned into 18,000 or something. And I remember I wanted to take it out. And this is all like, this is all before, before I was 18. And there was this one, and I had been listening to a, or I read the book, The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil, right? All about exponential growth, yes. like, technological right. singularity, like the three bridges, biotechnology. I was a, I was a weird kid. And I was like, the nanobots are coming. And, you know, but you were a smart kid. You were a smart kid. I like smart kids. I was. I, w I wouldn't pat myself on the back. I mean, I will because, you know, everybody's got to pet their own ego. But I remember he was talking about, like, uh, like the Human Genome Project and how it cost, like, $13 billion or something, and it took 13 years or whatever it was, and how at, like, year 11 they weren't even halfway through yet. But Ray Kurzweil was like, just stay the course because exponential growth and it's going to go. And sure enough, they did it. And he was talking about it in his book. He's like, well, it's going to keep dropping and dropping and dropping. And I remember thinking, I was like, oh, there's going to be like at home gene sequencing soon. And I remember thinking mm -hmm. like right at the moment, whenever I was looking at it, it was like it still cost like a hundred thousand bucks. But I was like, in like a decade, you're probably and I mean, what do we now know? Right. Twenty three and me, you know, I'm from wherever. Wow. You know, all right, right. cool. Right. But I remember I went in. I remember in the library at high school with my friend Matt. And I was like, there's this company, but it like it's privately held. They're not selling stocks. And I was like, I wish I could put all the money from Apple into this. And I remember Matt was like, you're a moron. And the company got bought by someone else. And then it got, and then it got, fell under new, uh, new, their new CEO or someone who happened to be the wife of one of the co-founders of Google and it turned into 23andMe. And I remember I was screaming and I was like, I told you so. I told you because it was like a hundredth of a penny. Yeah. But I guess everyone yeah. does have that. You know, another kind of funny side story, uh, me and my friend Matt, I remember I sold one of the Apple stock. We were like 17 at the time. And I took it and I yeah. found some like small carbohydrate delivery system pharma corporation in like Ukraine, which is probably yeah. like a front for something else. And uh, because it was like a thousandth of a penny of stock. And I was like, I just want to see how many we can buy. <laughs> That, that, that's funny. I just have to interrupt. The carbohydrate delivery system. I think that's better known as a candy bar. <laughs> Fuck you. This podcast is over. That's funny. <laughs> it's, uh, no, but it, right, it was some it was some bullshit on like, we'll use glucose and glucose saccharides. To, and I was like, I liked it because it was like, it was legitimately like a thousandth of a penny of a share. And I just kind of yeah. got a kick out of because you'd get an email when you bought something from E-Trade and you can print it out. I thought it was funny. So I printed it out at the library and I yeah. bought, you know, I bought like a million and a half shares because it was like a thousand bucks. Yeah, and I freaked the fuck out because I got an email that said that I was the majority uh, shareholder, and like technically I wasn't supposed to be on E Trade because I was under eighteen, and I was like, I, I was like, I was like, the CIA is gonna find me, and so that's when I got out of the market. I sold everything, and I was like, fuck this, I don't. But I'm really just, those stories have nothing to do with anything we were talking about. But the point is, is you know everyone can look back and go, well, I told you it was gonna be this. Everyone knew it was gonna be. Well, then, you know, why didn't you invest in it? 
you know, then why didn't you invest in Uber? Why didn't mm-hmm. you invest in Tesla? Why didn't you invest in Blue Origin and, you know, uh, automated civilian rocket flights? Like anyone can stand from that point, And it seems like the only thing you can do is just kind of find the middle ground and just float along the river. Yeah. And, and I would say specifically to stocks that your your energy, your creativity, your your lifetime and your your passions are much better spent somewhere else than analyzing price lines in the stock market where an algorithm can handle it. You know, I mean, let the mathematics handle what to do in the stock market. You do you, which is podcasting in your case, and you don't need to be distracted even during a podcast, apparently in the case of some of your guests with what's going on in the stock market, you know? Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you, you've got better things to do with your mind. And I, I think it's important to protect our minds, our creativity and, do something real with life instead of just look at price lines moving around. Yeah. No, but it's, I mean, man, I was pre-med in college. I was a terrible student my first year. And I kind of, I was like, man, I'm not going to go in. I'm going nowhere fast. So I, I really started studying like seven days a week for three years. I mean, truly didn't have a social life. I had great grades, killed the MCAT, got into medical school, but really had no life. And I remember <clears throat> the day I, the day I graduated, I went out into to my buddy's lake house and we took some psychedelic mushrooms and we kind of just sat in a field and just meditated for like five hours and i realized how miserable i was because i was like to what end i got the highest gpa all right what happens what happens when i'm gone what happens when i'm you you have just unearthed what i thought my secret marketing strategy the shroom crowd that's my target market tom (laughs) (laughs) People who'd rather do shrooms than analyze markets. Well, well yeah. Shrooms, not stocks. Yeah. That's my tagline. Yeah. 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 Shrooms and booms. It's all, you know, it's just you with long hair, like you, you with long hair and a rainbow and you're like, you know, right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, there is more to it than that. And I mean, to me, that's what, that's what this podcast has really taught me is like the slow and steady It's just like, yeah. Early on, I was always, I was like, I just got to get on Joe Rogan. I just got to interview Donald Trump. I just got to interview Elon Musk. And I realized early on, well, not only were those you know delusions of grandeur and it'll probably get me arrested, but I was like, that's not where this thing comes from, man. It's I, sometimes I have on guests and I'm like, this is the one. This is the one that's gonna make this pot. And it gets four views, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then there are other yeah. episodes where those are the ones that lead open new doors, and I'm like, what? And it really is just. I don't analyze the numbers, man. Pick pick your goal on the horizon and just march slowly towards it. Do five episodes a week. Well, it com- comes back to that idea that there's uh, – yeah, I, I was – sorry to cut you off there. I was going to say it, it comes back to this old idea that there, there's no accounting for the audience taste. I mean, you don't know what people are going to like. It's, it's hard to reverse engineer this stuff. And like you said, sometimes just you – Yucking it up with a buddy is more interesting to people than than having the most brilliant mind on the planet come on your show. And I don't know, those brilliant brilliant mind conversations can get pretty overrated. I mean, they're not hard to find. Every major media outlet includes those quotes pretty much daily. And if you aggregate those, and I, I have to analyze news a lot in, in my in my work, and I've got these clouds of topics, and you can almost assign labels to almost everything people are, are, are talking about, and almost everybody ever talks about is just an update. Yeah. So I understand why a lot of an audience gets tired of that. It's like, um, well, let's say climate change, for example. I know this is kind of queuing off what you said and going a different direction, I but. Shit. I, I I believe it's a big issue. Let's just grant for a second, even if somebody sure. doubts it. I mean, climate change is huge. Everybody's got a view on this. Sure. But in my view, the problem that the we have to change everything to save the planet crowd, the problem with their message is every year or so, they set another uncrossable line. If If we go over this amount of carbon in the atmosphere, right, or we go past this many barrels of oil pump, whatever the metric is, if we cross that, it's the point of no return. How do they not understand the psychology of having passed countless points of no return? Well, thinks the lay person, if we're past the point of no return six or eight times over already, why do I need to continue caring? Now, to be clear, I am not saying we don't need to care. I'm just saying, of course, people get tired of this stuff. It's another person saying another 
thing in the same topic. And I, I just think that's part of why it's hard to predict which, which guests, regardless of profile, are going to capture people's attention. Because what you could say is, you know, the most brilliant person operating in climate science is going to come on Tom's podcast. Everybody tune in. We're finally going to get the straight dope. But half the audience is thinking, uh-huh, another one of those guys. And the other half is thinking, I love this guy. I've heard everything he said before, that kind of thing. So I just think it's very hard to reverse engineer what what an audience is going to like because of how out there all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and it's it's also the same. I mean, I forget who said it, but there's some quote, and it's like if in the creative space, if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. And so, like very early on, some people are like, "Tommy, you need to choose one topic and go for it." Like, you know, you interview a lot of Vietnam vets. You should make this the Vietnam podcast. Or, man, you love talking about you know UFOs. Like, you should make this. And I was like. No, because every, and some people are like, you got to have an intro with all these graphics and you got to, you know, mm. edit it more. Watch the language. Tommy, you should really wear a collared shirt. You should have a big desk with like a ticker. And I'm like, that's just all these weird archetypes. It's like every, it's it's the stereotype. You turn on the news and there's the guy and they're talking about welcome today. We're talking we're talking to Mr. Jason Kelly with his new book. Everyone's done that bullshit. No, what you have to do is you got to do an interview with you who I knew nothing about. And you come on here with me. You have no idea what we're going to talk about. And we end up talking about the three percent. We also end up talking about, I don't know, fake titties. But here we are. And now we've circled back to climate change. It doesn't matter. It's just because this is something no one has seen before, right? This is like a genetic mutation. You got to throw some. You got to throw something into the mix that no one else has done before. You got to kind of wake them up from it, right? Everyone's watched a basketball game, and there's a halftime show. What happens when there's a streaker? That's when it makes the news because you're like, dude, some guy ran out this fucking cock flopping around, and you're like, hey, you know, now it's a Super Bowl, and it's you just got to mix shit up, light it on fire, and see what happens. I mean, Joe Rogan. <laughs> I, I will be sure. I will be sure to get that on my resume. On this date, I talked titties with Tom on his podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm the guest for you. Yeah. And hey, and you're and you're gonna remember this day. If this day was just another, let's talk about market growth and the booms and the busts. And what do you think about gold right now? You'd do it and it'd be like another thing you did and you'd kind of whatever. But no, yeah, now you're yeah. for better or worse, you're gonna remember this interview. You're gonna be like, dude, that guy was <laughs> nuts. Well, on on that note, if if I may ask a question, yeah, um, why you told me early on that you were booted on YouTube? Why did that happen? Well, if you discuss anything around COVID, that is not the party line. And as a biology major who got into medical school and pharmacy school and published research in the field of aquatic toxicology, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But I am. And hey, everyone in my family has the vaccine. Cool. Great. Go for it. More power to you. I thought it was very odd that there were things that we couldn't talk about. Because I can talk about mm -hmm. anything. I can say mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton killed JFK. I can say aliens with the help of the Jewish prime minister did 9-11. No one gives a shit. And nor should you. Because it's all rabbling. I thought it was very odd that there was something we couldn't talk about. And then it's also, you know, I went to private Catholic school. You weren't at long. You weren't allowed to have long hair. Couldn't go over your ears or your collar. So what did I do for four years? I had it right up to my ears, and my collar, because you know, fuck you. And then as soon as I got to college, no one told me how long my hair could be. It's been this short for a decade because it's not fun anymore. I don't care. I drank more alcohol between 16 and, and 20 than I did between 21 and 31. Because half that half the cool is like you're not supposed to. That's right. So I started getting on physicians, and I was like, let's just, you know, so I got on a guy, Roger Hodkinson, from, uh, oh, where the fuck did he go to, Oxford or, or Cambridge? And, you know, I got, like, a warning from YouTube, and it was like, don't talk about this. And I was just like, this is a very, like, esteemed doctor. So I had on another guy, Mobin Saeed, who's got a YouTube channel with, like, 300,000 subscribers. Brilliant Indian physician. Brilliant, like, molecular physiologist. Had him on, and we talked about it. And I got another warning from YouTube, and it said, hey, you know, you're, you're spreading medical misinformation. And I was like, huh. Now, again, if it's me on there and I'm yelling fire in a crowded theater, I get it. I don't have a medical degree. I understand. Sure. Not my, not my company, private company. I disagree with them. If they want to kick me off, sure, I get it. So I purposely started trying to go get the most uh, published guys, the most esteemed physicians. Because yeah. I was like, let's just, yeah. let's walk right up to the, let's walk right up. To, I'm not touching you yet. I'm not touching you. I'm not hitting you. So I got on Robert Malone who invented the mRNA vaccine, I had him on. And they didn't take it down. Yeah. And I was like, all right. 
So let's push it a little farther. So I got Dr. Peter McCullough, the most published cardiologist in world history, testified before the U.S. Yeah. Senate. I had on uh, Stephen Hatfield, who was in the is in the Trump White House as a as a health official. He was involved with the whole anthrax thing in two thousand one. Fed on Ken Alibek, the head of the Soviet Union's bioweapons program, defected to the United States in 1992. Had on all these other physicians, and I was like, so I started bringing them on just to talk about COVID. And then I finally got a strike, and they said, you're off for seven days, and you can't upload. And I was like, all right, motherfuckers. And you know, I kind of played that's all, just, just a second, just a second. Um, that's all they say. They, they, don't, they don't give a whole detail. They just say. Well, they give you an email. They give you an email. And they say, uh, huh. this episode, well, you, get, you get one warning, two warnings, and on the third warning, you get a strike, and you're off for seven days. Hmm. Second strike, you're off for 14 days. Third strike, ban hammer. So the final strike was Dr. Peter McCullough coming on and saying, hey, if you want the vaccine, get it. If you don't want it, whatever. He, as the most published cardiologist in world history, said there's a four things that you should take, everyone, whether you're 20 or 50 or whatever. Turmeric, vitamin D, zinc, and uh, uh, quercetin, four things you can buy at Walmart, costs about seven bucks a month. Studies show that it can jack up your immune system, and this guy is brilliant. So I was like, all right, so we did that. YouTube kicked me off, and they said, for, mm. quote, spreading medical misinformation that directly contradicts the World Health Organization. So I've been removed for medical misinformation, despite having on George Fareed, a Harvard physician who's been practicing medicine for 51 years, has treated 9,000 patients in the Imperial Valley in California and published papers with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and ivermectin, just testified last week to the Italian Senate in Rome, along with Dr. Hatfield, who I've also had on this podcast. I've had on all these guys who are at the apex of their field. It's not some mm. crazy guy from southern Mississippi who's like, I ate a tree branch and fucked a squirrel and I killed COVID. And it's like, well, that's misinformation, right? I'm having on the most published people in the world, the, the apex, the mountaintops of physicians. And to me, yeah. it's not even about, yeah. I don't have any stake in any of this. To me, it's about free speech. This happens to be COVID. If it was about, you're not allowed to talk about 9-11 or the Iraq war, or you're not allowed to talk about, you know, George H.W. Bush's dad being in the CIA. That's what I probably wouldn't cover that because he would kill me. But I just cover what I'm not allowed to because more than anything, this isn't a COVID podcast. Like I, I talk to everyone about everything. I literally interviewed right. a guy one time just because he drove bulldozers. And I was like, that's kind of cool. It wasn't a great podcast, but you know, I, whatever. But to me, at the crux of it is the importance of free speech. And I was just like, finally, I realized I was like, I can't sit in front of this flag and not have the balls to go after free mm -hmm. speech. So I got kicked off. So, you know, fuck them. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Fake titties, climate yeah. change, 3%. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Life is looking up for you. <laughs> hey, man, I don't give a shit. It's a fun ride. But yeah, so that's that's why I got kicked off. I don't really okay. know how we got no, into that. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I've always wondered how, how that went. It's 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 interesting to hear how that interaction goes, that you get those warning emails, you're off for seven days, you're off for 14, and then down comes the hammer. And now at this point, you're banned by life or what's the status? I'm permanently banned. I'm I can't I can't even log in on my computer. They they have my huh. IP. I can't I can't jokes on them. I have I prepared for this moment. I have a bunch of alternative channels that I covertly upload episodes to every once in a while. But uh yeah, no. It's uh yeah. don't you dare speak out against uh don't you dare speak against the party line. Well, to me, the concern is this. Today, it's COVID. What is it tomorrow? Do you no longer talk about drone strikes who yeah. accidentally hit weddings in Afghanistan? That's hate speech. Well, what happens when you can no longer talk about unarmed black <laughs> men being shot? What happens when you can't talk about scandals? What happens when you can't talk about defense contractors double dipping? It's, it leads to a – this is how you end up – this is how you end up looking at Auschwitz and going, how did this happen? Well, it happens really slowly, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. start with train cars full of men, women, and children. It happens really slowly. Hey, you just got to, you know, 1933, they would just put them in for two days. You could play cards with the guards at the early concentration camps. They'd give you gin and cigarettes. It was all cool. What are you just here for a little bit? You're talking about against the state. You can't do that. All right, cool. Every once in a while, they'd start to beat people. 1934, 1935, a little more. And every once in a while, someone would get killed and there'd be an investigation. <sighs> We can't have deaths in the concentration camps. And it escalates and it escalates and it escalates to now 
You can go to Auschwitz, you can go to the museum, and you can look at the trays of wedding rings. You can look at the mountains of shoes where these people were gassed and incinerated because they're Jewish, because they're homosexuals, because they're Sinti, because they're Roma. And it, I'm getting a little jacked up now, but this is where this shit goes. So it starts, sure, with COVID. Tommy, why do you care so much about COVID? I don't give a shit about COVID. I know I'm a student of history, and I look at it, and just like you do at the market, and you can see where trends go— Hey, no one saw where the pandemic was coming from. Hey, in 1933, if you told everyone that there would be 6 million Jews incinerated in a coordinated fashion with Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen and Pelno and Dachau and Ordorf and all the other ones, they would have said you're fucking high. But that's where it went. And every time we Mm -hmm. think it can't happen, it fucking goes there. Every time we think we've got it all worked out, it goes there. So, no, I don't give a fuck about COVID, but I can look back and go, hey, Every time this starts, it ends up with 100 million people dead. And now my heart rate's jacked up. So that's why I went against it. Because <laughs> free speech. Well, hey, that's nice that she's already passionate about something. And, and I, I understand why you would be. And, yeah. you know, I, I believe that, that, you know, I take you in good faith that you were trying to explore COVID and vaccination from multiple that you thought were legitimate guests. Like you say, you weren't going to the, the hinterlands of goofiness. Yeah. So, of course, you're upset to be having tried to provide a greater dimension on that topic. But it's, it's to me, it's, it's, not, it's really not even that. It's because I know where this goes. It goes to, there will be another moment. Well, there is. You also can't talk about election fraud. Maybe yeah. there was, maybe there wasn't. Well, what the importance is, is what we're doing is it's not that it's important to talk about COVID or election fraud. It's they're pushing the window of acceptance. What, yeah. I would I would add another dimension. I'm, I'm talking to you today from Japan. Mm-hmm. I've, I've lived here for, for more than 19 years now. And one of the perspectives that has given me is the, the, the enormous difference of a homogeneous society. Japan is something over 99% Japanese and a diverse society, which is what most of the West is. And in, in the, the generation that I have lived here, I watched from afar as America has descended into identity obsession. That's, I think, what I would call it. Mm-hmm. This idea that the tribalism, this is not new to you, but the, the us and them feeling that pervades every seeming aspect of, of American life. I think that contributes to what you're talking about, where people end up, in camps. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but but just the tribalization, the us and them, the reds and blues, north and south. You're right. History has shown these kind of divisions to be very dangerous. And it, it seems to me that America is playing with fire with its diversity at this point, because there, there was a time when I grew up, it was taught that diversity is our strength. Everybody brings something to the table and we, we need to look at the different qualities people bring. And somehow that got flattened into no. The only fair view of the world is we are all the same. We are all interchangeable. There's nothing special about anybody. Okay, so that's where we're going to go. And naturally, people rose up against that and thought, well, well, if we're all the same, then shouldn't it be the exact percentage of the population represented in every single field? And then it turns into, wait a second, why isn't that group being taken care of? And suddenly, the us and them is back. And it, it's gotten so ridiculous I've had people introduce themselves to me with race and religion as if as if that was top of the ticket for what I needed to know about them. You know, talking on the phone, it's like, you know, as a whatever man, uh, you know, insert race here as a whatever man's uh, following this faith. I would like you to know the following. And we weren't talking about race, religion. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty clear sign that the identity obsession has gone off the rails. And. In my view, the, you know, the calling out of pronouns and just this wokeness that's up everywhere contributes to this idea that I'm on a certain team. I need to declare the elements of my team in every walk of life just so you know who you're dealing with because we couldn't possibly just deal with each other as Americans or people. We have to be, I'm on my team, you're on your team, and here's how we're going to have to struggle through this even though I know you're going to try to screw me somehow. That is a recipe for trouble. It is, and it's it's the antithesis of what MLK said, right? It's the, you bet. It's the content of your character. When... Some people ask me, you don't have on, uh, you don't have on enough black guests. You don't have enough female guests. 
Do you know how I find most guests? I see a title on Audible and I go, that book looks interesting. And I screenshot it and it falls into the folder on my phone of potential guests. And when I'm on the treadmill, I pick one from there and I email. I don't know who they are. I do not know who they are. And then they come on. I don't care who they are. I emailed. I don't even remember who the other Jason Kelly was. But now I'm talking to you and you're in Japan and we're talking about finance. It's but if we defined it, I was like, hey, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a white, heterosexual, uh, Roman Catholic male from New England. You'd be like, so are you taking part in my portfolio or no? <laughs> like, you know, I don't give a, f- I don't give a fuck, yeah. dude. Do you got money? Yeah. Is your cash green? Like, I don't care. So, yeah, yeah. It is. Well, and I, I just, I, I find it to be a really depressing view of life that, that, that every type of human being has to be the exact same. I mean, my view of, of the way to handle diversity is well, I talk about getting a little off the three percent signal here but let's go with it you seem to like <laughs> let's, this kind let's of thing. fucking run really my view of the way to handle diversity is just if everybody's given an equal chance to do whatever they want fine I mean that that's the only thing we can do once we get beyond that and start insisting that we have to have a certain percentage of profession a with this type of person, Boy, that is just inviting complete calamity. And we see it in some parts of life. If you're talking about race, for example, in sports, nobody insists on a on a, an equal representation yeah. of races. And, and nobody seems to stop and question that. Like, hey, wait a second. Why aren't there more people of type C in the field, on the court, running around the track, whatever, whatever it happens to be? Understand, we're going total excellence. These are the best at it. Here we go. And but somehow any kind of non-timed event, non you know, some kind of event that has any sort of subjectivity to it, and, and we've we got to have equal representation. I don't think that's fair to anybody. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I, I don't give a fuck if you're a black guy or a white guy. If I if I own a football team or an NBA team, hey, get me the wins, sell out the stadium, and get me that trophy. I don't give a <laughs> shit. I'm a seven foot one black man. Cool. Can you dunk? Yeah. Can you dunk better than that guy? Yeah. Signed. Hey, I'm a I'm a five foot five Asian guy, but I'm the best point guard in the history. Sign him. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. It, and it's you're right. No, it's equal opportunity. You should not be. No one should be denied based on something. Right. right? That's something we can right. all agree on. Everyone does agree on. And if you don't, I mean, you're a piece of shit. It's everyone gets a shot. Everyone gets a shot. I can go try out for the L.A. Lakers. No one's going to tell me you're white and you can't dribble and you're five foot ten. I can go right. try out. Right. It's not going to work out well, but I can go try out. But the idea that you have to have a quality of outcome, that is now, now we're going into racism, right? Now you're saying we, we have too many Asian kids at Harvard. We have too many white kids in this medical school. Well, now I'm being fucked because of the color of my skin and not the content of my character. that's where it's going and just like the market i mean you can look back at trends and you know you might someone might say tommy you know you're getting really passionate you're talking about covid censorship and you know you're equating it to the holocaust well no one ever thinks this shit's coming right well i i saw the pandemic coming why didn't you capitalize on it what because you didn't see it coming no one ever sees it coming the biggest news story of 2022 we could probably say it's, you know, is it going to be a Donald Trump tweet? Is it going to be a new COVID variant? It's going to be something that no one saw coming, right? I mean, look at the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. the biggest, meanest animals on the planet. They're breaking through trees. They're ripping apart whales with their teeth. Wild card, wild card, asteroid, <laughs> right? Yeah. No yeah, one sees yeah. it coming. No, that's right. It's, that's right. That's right. So it's, it's, it's yeah. the unknown unknowns that throw us for a loop, and they seem to come on a regular basis. Yeah. So forecasting right? is pretty futile. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, and I mentioned we were talking about diversity and how, how to happily be in a diverse society. Um, one, one thing that in this heterogeneous society here in Japan, nobody can ever say, um, you know, Hiroki did not get into that school because he's Japanese. And boy, University in Tokyo just can't stand Japanese people. Look at the history. I mean, that's just right. It's it's irrelevant here. And I, you know, in in America, if if or any diverse society, if you're going to insist on a certain percentage of students, team members, corporate employees, whatever the group is, that organization, if you're going to insist a certain percentage of a certain identity, that becomes unfair to the members of that identity group. Have standards anyway. 
And we get back to this whole thing that, oh, I see, that's our diversity candidate, or that's our required, like in your example, that's our required white guy on the Lakers, or that's our required gay person in our church choir, whatever it is, you know, that's our required member of that identity group that wouldn't normally be here because most of them can't qualify, but we had to let this person, I want mean, to joke, whereas if it's if it's completely open, like talked about equal access, anybody is allowed to try out for this, then if that's the case, everybody who succeeds can be proud to have succeeded on their own right. And there's never any room for somebody to say, if not for the special treatment that we have in place, this person in that identity group would have never made the cut. That, that's just the height yeah. of cynicism and, and, well, the soft bigotry of low expectations, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what the comedian Tim Dillon said. It's like everyone that's saying, like, we need more women comedians. Well, when you're up there at the comedy store, like, are you, how proud of you? Or how, how proud are you? Do you really think it's, how do you know? You know, I'm doing this. And, you know, if I, if I, you know, if I identified as nine different things, I, you know, I'd, my podcast would probably be a lot bigger, but it's not. But, you know, we're beating the dead horse. It's to say, it's, you can't be proud of it. Right. Did you really get yeah. there? Did you, yeah. are you really that good at football or is your dad, Tom Brady? Did you earn it? Or are, are you proud of it? Is it worth having? What, what about <clears> just letting it rise to the top? And not only that, but there is an inherent racism and bigotry in saying it needs to be equal. You're implying that they aren't good enough to do it on their own. So you have to come in here and you got to, you know, because you're the hand, you're the gatekeeper. You, you all let you in. Well, you're implying that they can't do it on their own. If Joe Rogan called me up and said, hey, man, I'm going to give you a boost, I'd say thanks. But then I'd also say, oh, wait, <laughs> this feels bad for me. <laughs> this guy's saying I can't do it. I, you know, I'd probably end up throwing the phone. Fuck you. You can't come on here, right? It's, but. <laughs> Joe Rogan, if you're watching this, don't you dare call Tom. Don't you tell dare him you're call give him me. <laughs> don't you dare call me. Hey, Tom, we're going to give you a boost. I'd be like, what, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> right? It's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, yeah. Well. We've kind of gone completely off the rails now, and we've gone for about an hour and a half. So let's wrap this one up. And, uh, man, I'd love to have you on another time. That was fun as fuck. I'd, I'd be happy to come back. Yeah, we can, we can cover the universe. There's all <laughs> kinds of topics we can tackle. We'll start with investing, and eventually we'll get to the fake titties and asteroids. Yeah, oh, good. Let's hope that's the top of the docket next yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, man, thank you so much. I'll put your website in the description. I'll put your book in the description. As always, everyone, you can go check them out. And, um, <laughs> yeah, hey, it was my gut feeling not right when I said, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? And you said, yeah. I knew yes, it was going to be you good. Got it right. I knew it was going to be good, it was good. And it was fucking great. It was fucking fantastic. Thank you so much for coming I, on I here, it. man. Yeah. God bless. And, my pleasure. Uh, we'll do it again. Fuck yeah, dude. All right, buddy. Take care, and uh, you can now get on your phone. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. All right, man. Hey, that was really fun, Tom, and I'm I'm glad we could do it earlier so you weren't up all night. Yeah, fuck yeah. Well, I'm taking tomorrow off anyway, so it's good. Okay. All right, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks for this. Um, Yeah, email me. I want to know when it's up. I tell people. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to take a little while because i got to edit the other one and edit this one. It'll be up. I'll email it to you. Okay. That sounds great. Have a good night, my friend. You too, buddy. Peace.